0: that's my cue. I missed it. Good morning, everybody. Wow, it is so good to be here. I don't know about you, but I can feel heaven's smile today. Can you feel it? What we're doing today is so right. This is so good. And uh, I can feel just the Holy Spirit's favor on this service. Uh, Just a special welcome to those of you that are from St. Peter's today coming to root on your pastor. And uh, we're so glad that you're here. Others as well from the region and, uh, uh, oftentimes you guys get excited and we'll bring somebody to church and then you'll come and introduce them uh, to me. I'd like to introduce two of my friends that I asked to come today and Troy Hickman who's over there and is going to hate that I just did this um, and uh, Sean Adams uh, right over here and Sean has represented the church for many years legally but really has become a great friend of mine uh, and you didn't know a friend of yours. Uh, would you just welcome my friends that came today to Harvest Christian Fellowship. Great to see people that came in i worked in construction years ago, uh, 38 years ago, uh, with a gentleman named uh, Ulrich Hans, and his brother came and introduced himself, happens to live in Long Sioux. Our connection goes back to southwestern Ontario. It was so good to see you, Connor, here this morning. Online, uh, I don't know if you can capture what we're sensing and feeling, but it is pretty powerful here in this place. I just want to give a shout-out to, uh, to your generosity harvest, our Christmas Eve uh, Operation Harvest where we uh, took an offering for grocery vouchers for families that attend uh, the daycare uh, that we identify, and we want to give them uh, just a a leg up uh, and a helping hand at this time of the season. You gave $7,000 in that service, so just well done, and uh, we want to help... over, it'll be over 14 families that'll get a significant grocery voucher to help them. And we thank thankful for John Backstrom who jumped in and gave us a little bit of a hand with that as well. Don't forget tonight's service. Um, We don't normally have Sunday evening service. This is part of our 21 days of fasting and prayer, and we're just getting ready to conclude as we go into our final week, uh, our 21 days. It's just been amazing. How many would say that you have uh, just sense as you've put time aside and uh, food aside or whatever you might have put aside, you're sensing the Lord just a little bit closer than you did before you started? Just wave your hand. See that? And so as as, I always say every year. I never say uh, I wish I hadn't done it. Now, when I'm in it, it's difficult. It's hard. But after we just really uh, believe as God disconnects us from the things of the world and connects us to His heart. Well, it is my uh, really great privilege to introduce to you uh, a great friend. First, uh, Father Matt and I met in a precarious way. Um, he, uh, I had he is, kind of was on my radar just the work that he was doing in the region and uh, I was hoping to meet him. I don't often just kind of go out, introduce myself. I kind of wait for an opportunity. It's not awkward and just kind of naturally happens, and uh, there was a uh, police officer that I know that pulled him over while he was speeding, and uh, <laughs> he, uh, he texted me and said he wasn't in his... Uh, it, he, was, he said to the officer, I'm on my way to a funeral. I'm in a hurry, and uh, and so the police officer said to me, text me and said, uh, he says he's a priest. Uh, he's not wearing any. And I said, uh, he, uh, say to him, I absolve you, my son, and let him go. So the uh, phone call came in later that week. He said this, he left a message on the phone. Uh, we, it was after hours. He said, uh, uh, Pastor Roy, I want to meet you, and I owe you a lunch, and uh, We've been meeting for lunch uh, minimally once a month ever since, it's been a few years now. Uh, Developed a deep friendship and appreciation for a man who loves Jesus with all of his heart. Serves God with all of his heart. And uh, we're gonna just honor him in a second. But I just want to say that to appreciate those of us here at Harvest today, um, you know, for us to open our hearts is uh, in in the evangelical world can be a bit of a risk. And and some of you have already experienced people going, "You're doing what?" And and uh, and so we've talked about that as a church. But today, I want you to appreciate that for him to step into this place uh, also creates eyebrows being raised and questions being asked uh, from from the circles that he would fellowship with. And so this is an equal sacrifice today. This is not one more than the other. This is an equal sacrifice for really something in the atmosphere. The Bible says where brethren uh, dwell in unity, there's a commanded blessing in Psalms. There's a commanded blessing. And we believe for our city, our region, we don't quite understand all that's happening, um, you know, in the spirit today, but we know Jesus is smiling, and we know that the, the, the gulf between um, Catholic and Protestant, especially with the French English here in Cornwall, and how that in history kind of connects, you know, French around Catholicism and English more around Protestantism, and I won't rehearse the history, you understand, that we want to just close that gap, because we Today agree uh, in the Apostles' Creed that there is one God. We believe in the most holy, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Christmas, Easter. We agree on way more than we would disagree on today. And for that, today we celebrate. I'd like you to stand to your feet today. Would you honor and welcome Father Matthew Brunet to Harvest Christian Fellowship? Woo! What an honor.
1: Thank you, brother. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Ooh.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, there's a lot of love in this room. I feel it. And to get a chance to be able to come and be with you here today is, um, is a real honor and a real privilege. And uh, yeah, Pastor Roy shared how we kind of met way back in the day, preparing for this funeral and everything else that went with it. But it definitely was the will of God working. Ecumenism, working with fellow Christians is big on both our hearts. And so that was kind of a launching pad towards uh, helping this day to come about. Pastor Roy's asked for a few years now, are you going to come to Harvest and share a word with us tonight? would think to myself, boy, I'd love to come, but you know, at St. Peter's, we have a 930 and 1115, how am I going to be able to get somebody to replace me? It's, there's kind of a shortage, especially Catholic priest-wise, and it can be difficult to get somebody to come and replace, but I'm really grateful, uh, Monsignor LeBrun, who used to be pastor of St. John Bosco, and it was here in this building, he stepped in to cover for me this weekend, so I could be here with you, so yeah. And it's also kind of on the, the fringe, if you will, of the week to pray for Christian unity. And that was one of the reasons why at this time I offered this date, um, this date or next weekend actually to Pastor Roy to see if it could work out. Because again, this is something so beautiful to be able to see what can we do to share a common love for the Lord that we all share together. And so to be here, it's a joy. It's a joy. All right, I'm going to go right into this. So as a good Catholic person, I've got a big confession to make. <laughs> this is the confession. I'm not a big lover of soft drinks. Okay, there you go. I said it right there. I know, it's pretty small, but anyway. But my nephews who are nine and seven, they love soda pop. Whether it's Mountain Dew, which is pretty much the worst one I think you can get, or Rude Beer, Ginger Ale, Orange Crush, They love it. If it's sugary, they love it. But their favorite soft drink of all is Coca-Cola. Do you know the origins of Coca-Cola by any chance? Maybe some of you do, but I'll tell you if you don't. In 1886, Knoxville, Tennessee pharmacist, Dr. John Pemberton, first introduced Coca-Cola to the world. He began by concocting a caramel-colored syrup in a three-legged brass kettle that he kept in his backyard. and Then he sold Basically, for pennies a glass, in his pharmacy, this concoction. After a little bit more than a century, surveys show that 97% of the world has heard of Coca-Cola. 72% have actually seen a can of Coke. 51% have tasted Coke for themselves. In the early 80s, Coca-Cola made a real simple vow that every single person on the planet would one day taste their product. Impressive. They've done well to be able to meet their target. But consider this other statistic. 97% of the world has heard about a sugar and water concoction that we call Coca-Cola. But only a staggering quarter of the world, 23.75% of the world, has heard about Jesus Christ. I know. Amazing, eh? And sad. You know, it's hard to believe that kind of thing would be possible even in 2023, that a soft drink could be more popular these days than the Savior of the world. Yet, no matter how many times we may try to break it down, the sad fact remains that statistically, when it comes to knowing Jesus, many parts of the world still remain clueless as to who he is or what he's all about. And that's where we come in, because we've got to change that. You know, as Christians, we know that Jesus isn't just an extra in life, right? Yeah, we know he is life. He makes our lives exciting, rich, definitely worth living and gathering together, putting on boots and coats and coming out into the cold on a, on a January morning. And it's that excitement that we're being invited and challenged to be able to share with others. You know, when it comes to, to sharing our faith and talking about the Lord, many people have a hard time opening up about it. Nobody here in this room. But definitely are a lot of people out there that have a hard time opening up. We do it basically because of the fact that, you know, nobody, you, nobody wants to be rejected or put aside or be considered crazy or a, a holy roller. So we just tend to keep quiet, right? Keep all this stuff to ourselves. Guarding our faith the way we would a secret. Yeah, which is a shame. Because many, many, many people especially those who never went to church as kids or heard the name Jesus spoken around the dining room table, harbor a natural curiosity about the Lord. But how can they ever come to know and love him if we who know him refuse to talk about him? The famous Christian pop band Newsboys have a great song that says, God is not a secret to be kept. Yeah, it's a great title for a great song. It says it all, my friends. We can't guard our faith the way we would a secret. We need instead to share it, to make it readily available to others, as is, without exception. Because when we stop to think about it, you know, if the apostles had opted to stay in the bunker in the upper room, all locked behind closed doors, and not venture out, we wouldn't be here in this church here today, you know? They had to have the courage to be able to go out with singular faith and willingness to stand at street corners and in public squares to witness to Christ crucified but alive in order to get the world talking and to get the world changed. And they paid a high price. Many of them gave their lives for that experience. What are we doing to further that legacy that they have, that they've been entrusted? What are we doing to share our faith with those around us? You know, a passage from Scripture that's always marked me, and it's kind of the more singular passage, I guess, of my talk today comes from Luke chapter 4. Jesus comes to worship in the synagogue at Nazareth. He starts off by saying, he came to the temple as was his custom. I always find that interesting, you know. Jesus came to gather regularly, just like we're doing at church. And he came to gather with those who knew him well, those who had seen him grow up from the time he was little. And he comes to them and he shares his mission statement. He shares his vocational identity with them. Today, this is just a paraphrase, but today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I've come to bring liberty and freedom, release and love, life to the world. Jesus, my friends, in saying this, he's sharing good news. He's being and embodying good news in action. You know, the word gospel comes from this word good news, and I think oftentimes as preachers, we can kind of forget about that. We kind of think sometimes that the pulpit is a great occasion to be able to spank via scripture. But that's not the purpose of what we gather for when we gather like this, right? The week brings with it all kinds of struggles and challenges and difficulties all its own. We come to hear the word of God preach the gospel to be able to be raised up, right? Resurrected, made new. In Christ, it's glad tidings that we come to bring. The people in the time of Jesus who were witnessing him talk that day, they heard that good news. They were inspired. They loved what they heard for a little while, but they loved what they heard. Times are not all that different. People are still needing the same, even today. Now, Jesus begins a sermon with the word today. You know, this word today, hodie can be seen as today, in this moment, in this very second, in the immediate, regardless of whatever the word is saying. Jesus is saying, today, I've come to bring something. He doesn't say, you know, maybe next week, you know, we'll gather and talk about this evangelization thing, or let's see where we're at next year, and you know, kind of go from there. No, he says today. Today, good news is being launched. Right now, right here, life is being unleashed into the world. And that, I think, is the main message that I want to be able to instill and react in our own hearts this day. The time for change, for rebirth, for newness is now. I'm a big music fan. I grew up in the 80s, so I love a lot of 80s music, all kinds of 80s music. But one of the bands that I like are the Smiths. And in 1984, they came out with a song that's got a pretty cool title, How Soon Is Now? how soon is now? When I think of this gospel passage, I think of that title, right? How soon is now? Jesus is reminding us, my friends, that the time for change, season of conversion, era of new life has arrived. It's now, it's on our doorstep. You know, there's an urgency in the message that Jesus is coming to bring. Regardless of our own station in life, we're called to take part in this wild adventure. You know, later in Scripture, Jesus will say, I've got a fire to bring to the earth now. I wish it were already kindled. Same kind of message. Jesus knows his time on earth is short. He's determined to make the most of the time that he has to make that difference in the world. And today, he invites us to come along, to embark on this mission together, to be able to bring our own flavor, our own identity, our own witness to that adventure. I'm a big sports fan, a big football fan, and I hate to say it a little bit because last week was not exactly the good ending to it, but I'm a huge Green Bay Packers fan. Yeah, big Green Bay Packers fan. Anyway, one of my favorite players in the NFL was a defensive end for the Packers in the 90s by the name of Reggie White. Reggie passed away in 2004 of a heart attack at the age of 43, but nicknamed the Minister of Defense by his teammates. Because in addition to being an NFL player, Reggie was also an ordained Baptist minister. He was a phenomenal athlete, but he was an even greater Christian on and off the field. His Christian influence amongst players in the NFL, it's legendary. People still talk about him even to this day. The present coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, Andy Reid, this is what he had to say about him. Reggie, Jesus was Reggie's life. Football was the way Reggie brought Jesus to the world to the players, the fans, even to the game itself. Everyone, even coaches and opposing players, were drawn to Reggie, not because he was just such a gifted athlete, but because he was such a committed Christian. You know, when I heard this, I thought to myself, you know, Matthew, you got to become more like Reggie. I think deep down, every one of us are called to become more like Reggie. And what I mean by this is we are called to be able to use the platform, the experience, the work, the life, that we have as a departure point to be able to share about Jesus. Football was the way that he was able to evangelize the world. That's what he knew. We're called to use what we've got to do the same. Yeah. (laughs) Some of us here, no doubt, are doing that already, planting great seeds in the lives of others. But there could be some of us that are sitting here and thinking, I'm not sure yet. I'm sitting on the sidelines a bit kind of wondering when my experience might come, looking for something big to come along to launch that. My mom loves to say, Matthew, bloom where you're planted. And we probably heard that before, right? Bloom where you're planted. We all need to bloom for Christ right where we are right now. If we're waiting for perfection or the perfect moment to arrive, we're waiting in vain. Christ wants us to see this day, this today, as an opportunity to catch fire for the Lord. We can't afford to miss this chance. Today, today is a gift. And we've been given this gift by the Lord. You know, there's a... An old expression that I'd heard once before that I thought was powerful and meaningful. If you could be given life imprisonment for being a Christian, would there be enough hard evidence in your life right now for those who know you to lock you up and throw away the key? Yeah, I know. But pretty powerful stuff. A bold statement, but an interesting one. You know, it matters not what we do for a living, whether we're secretaries, ministers, police officers musicians, butchers, bakers, candlestick makers. We can all touch the world and lead people to Christ. But we just have to be willing to get out there, right, and do our part. And Christ will take care of the rest. There's a book I read a number of years ago that's got an interesting title, Miracles and Other Little Things. I don't tend to think of miracles as little things, but Miracles and Other Little Things by Crystal White, And in this story, she shares a story about her grandmother and a family reunion that took place in Florida during the spring of 1965. My grandmother, wrote. Crystal, woke everybody up at 2 a.m. one morning and proceeded to give orders to all of us kids to find all the empty soft drink bottles, again, soft drink, but corks and paper we could muster together. I've received a message from the Lord, Grandma said, and people need to hear his word right now. That immediate thing again. Grandma sat at the kitchen table. She wrote Bible verses on tiny slips of paper while we, the grandkids, bottled and corked them. And after we exhausted our supply of bottles, we gathered together on the beach and we threw them as far as we could, over 100 bottles, into the Atlantic Ocean at Cocoa Beach. Some people wrote back They thanked Grandma for the scriptures throughout the months that followed. She died nine years later in November of seventy-four. The very next month, following her passing, this letter arrived in the mail. Dear Mrs. Gauss, I'm writing this letter by candlelight. We no longer have electricity on the farm. My husband was killed in the fall when the tractor overturned. He left 11 children and me behind. The bank is for closing. We have a few loaves of bread left. Snow on the ground. Christmas is two weeks away. I prayed for forgiveness this morning before I went to drown myself. The river's been frozen for weeks now. I figured it wouldn't take long. When I broke the ice, a bottle floated up. Yeah, I opened it. With tears and trembling hands, I read about hope. Psalm 130. Lord, I'm in great trouble. I call to you today. Hear my voice and answer me. There were other verses from Hebrews and John that you added, but that verse... That's the one that stood out for me. I came home, I searched for my Bible, I read the verses, and I thank God for you. Please pray for us. I know we're going to make it. God bless you, signed Sue from Ohio. Now, my friends, how could a bottle thrown in the Atlantic make its way inland to a river in Ohio? You know, who knows? The fact is, well, God knows. Huh? The fact is, God used Mrs. Gauss in the immediate and she used her grandkids at 2 a.m. as well in the immediate to reach out and provide comfort to someone who years later would need hope, light, and peace at a crucial point in their life. We can never underestimate the power now, right? And God's desire for us to be able to reach out and make a difference right where we are because right where we are is exactly right where God wants us to be. After all, he's a God of the present, right? Right? He introduces himself in Exodus to Moses. I am who I am. He doesn't introduce himself as I will be or I have been because God's not a has-been, right? (laughs) God uses the present to introduce himself. And God needs you and I to be working alongside him in that present too. Now, speaking about working alongside him, I'm going to venture out a little bit and ask you an interesting question here. How well do you know the following people or organizations? Jack Tinker and Partners. You ever heard of these guys? Probably not, right? How about Doyle Dane and Bernbach? BBDO, not BDO, but BBDO. Foot Cone and Belding. I know. How about this last one, J. Walter Thompson? Now, if you say to yourself, I've never heard of these guys, no worries. They're probably glad that you've never heard of them. And why? Because they are ad agencies, And ad agencies don't exist to make a name for themselves, they exist to make a name for others. While we may not necessarily be acquainted with the companies themselves, we're more than familiar, I'm sure, with their product. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is. That was a snazzy little jingle made famous by Jack Tinker and Partners for Alka-Seltzer back in 1976, which was a great year to be born, by the way, just saying, just saying. (laughs) We try harder. Doyle, Dane, and Bernbach created this slogan for Avis Rent a Car in the year 1962. Mmm, mmm, good. Credit BBDO with the simple catchphrase Campbell's Soup have been using since 1935. While we've probably never heard of foot, cone, and belding, we've no doubt heard and read the motto that they have used for Hallmark since 1934. When you care enough, to send the very best. And while we don't know maybe the name J. Walter Thompson, we have certainly hummed the jingle that their ad agency wrote for Kellogg's back in 1932. Snap, crackle, pop. Rice Krispies. Rice Krispies. <laughs> I guess deep down we can all learn a lesson from these companies because what they do for their clients, we do for Jesus. Yeah? We exist to do, as 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 reminds us, to reflect like mirrors the brightness of the Lord. As heaven's advertising agency, that's who we are. We're called to evangelize, to promote God in every aspect of our lives. How do we do that? By using the God-given gifts and talents each of us has been given by the Lord. You know, sometimes I think we make the mistake of thinking that we're not much, especially when it comes to sharing about faith. You know, we think, I'm not much of a theologian. I don't have a PhD in theology. Well, Pastor Roy doesn't have one, and I don't have one either. But the fact of the matter is, we don't need to have these high-end degrees to talk about Jesus. And actually, in actual fact, sometimes the more knowledge you've got, the more risks that faith can undergo. Lots of people have lots of knowledge about Jesus. But not everyone knows him personally. And knowing God personally, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I remember reading about John Wesley, founder of the Wesleyan Church. After experiencing a conversion while sharing a Bible study with a small group of Christians, his heart felt, I love this, strangely warmed by the experience. Strangely warmed. The moment, however simple and childlike, touched him at the core of who he was, and it led him to invest all he had to become a full-fledged missionary for Christ. But just think, the whole thing started with a sensation. Yeah? With a feeling of peace, warmth, love, while in the company of other Christian believers. It wasn't head knowledge that got him converted. It was this, eh? via the heart. The experience of knowing God, my friends, it always comes from personal encounter, from something real that gets us in the gut and grabs us and shakes us up. Just think back on your own conversion story. What led you to Jesus? Something tells me. It probably involved an encounter that touched the heart, too rather than maybe stirred the mind. Knowing God is always personal, and it always tends to come here. My mom says, you know, Matthew, the Lord loves you. He wants to be your everything. He wants to be your best friend. Well, best friend relationships, they don't happen overnight. It takes time. It takes work. It takes getting to know the other person, where they are at, and learning to love them where they are too. The same is in our relationship with God. God knows you and I inside out, back to front. He doesn't need to spend extra time getting to know us. He knows us already. It's us. We need to spend that time getting to know him, experiencing the unconditional love that God has always had and always will have for you and for me. You know you know that old expression, you can't give what you don't have? Well, same is true in our own faith life. Our faith works like this. If our faith life is empty and God's a stranger to us, we can't expect to evangelize fully and transform the world for Christ. That can only happen once we've experienced Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior, once we've invited him right here into our heart, into our life for good and for keeps. Once that moment happens, then and only then can we get to work helping others to experience that love for themselves too. In 1966, a 21-year-old music college student from London, England, decided she wanted to be a missionary for Jesus. She had just experienced a profound encounter with the Lord, and she wanted to share that experience with as many people as humanly possible. So she boarded a boat, the cheapest ocean crossing liner she could find, and she spent the next three weeks praying to see where the Lord wanted her to disembark. She eventually arrived in Hong Kong, And once there, she came to Kowloon's famous walled city, a small, densely populated, lawless area controlled neither by China nor Hong Kong. And it is there, in that area, that this 21-year-old London music student decided to set up shop, bringing the gospel of Jesus to the broken, hurting, and the homeless. She would later write, "'I loved being in this dark place. I hated what was happening in it, but I wanted to be nowhere else.'" And I knew that God wanted me to be nowhere else too. He wanted me to bring light into this darkened place. He wanted me to bring Himself into this place. Jackie Pollinger would indeed bring Jesus to the people there. She'd actually spent half a century working in Kowloon's Walled City, ministering and sharing the gospel with prostitutes, heroin addicts, and gang members. And amazingly, she does it still. I know. She's been knighted by the Queen, hailed by world leaders even praised by Pope Francis. She's not a doctoral candidate nor a wealthy scion of a large family. She's a five-foot, two-inch tall, 78-year-old London oboist who once dreamt of playing in the symphony but spent her life introducing Jesus to the nobodies of Kowloon's Walt city. Now, she has an awesome saying, and if there's anything, my friends, to take from this today, to think about during the week, it's this expression, because I think it's powerful. Jackie Pullinger says, The problem with the world when it comes to evangelization is this. Too many Christians have hard hearts and soft feet. But God wants us to have soft hearts and hard feet instead. Yeah. Yeah. God wants you and I to have the courage courage to step out there in the world with, to take our hard and durable feet into the tough and uncomfortable places of our lives, the workplace our home, even our churches and communities so that we can witness collectively eh, with soft hearts, hearts of love, openness, and compassion to the presence of Jesus that is alive and well and living in this broken world. That's the call of the modern disciples. And I think that's the call that's placed within each of our hearts, whether we're baptized or christened, fully committed to the Lord or just newly on the way. The truth is the world is hungry to know the Lord. People are watching us. You know, they're observing us, looking to see if we're committed to Christ. They want to know, is God real for us? You know, I'm reminded of the words at the ordination of a, a deacon or a priest in a Catholic liturgy. The last thing the bishop does to welcome you is he gives you a big hug. That's a physical sign of welcome. But just before, this is what he says. Believe what you read. Teach what you believe. Practice what you teach. Practice. Live those words. Take them into yourself. People don't want hypocrisy. More and more, the world hungers for authenticity, especially from us. And we've got to be willing to be real. I remember reading a long time ago, what of 100 people surveyed, one person reads the Bible, the other 99, they read the Christian. Evangelization is serious business. But if the early disciples could do it, hey, there's hope for all of us. The modern disciples that we are too. Charles Dickens said, best of times, worst of times, right? But these are gospel times. Times that are ripe for a life-changing encounter with the Lord. And I'm going to close with this last little little thing here. A number of years ago, I was invited to celebrate a wedding for some friends in Berry's Bay. I'd I'd never been there before. So I left way too early and had too much time on my hands. So I wasn't speeding or nothing, but anyway. (laughs) It was uh, summertime, and somewhere around Renfrew... I came across something I'd never seen before, a sunflower farm. It was, it was incredible. It was beautiful. I've loved, I love sunflowers. I think they're the most beautiful of all God's flowers. So you know, on that particular day, it was sunflowers as far as the eye could see, and I thought, I've got time. So I drove on over to the farm. The farmer was out there working on his tractor. He kindly came over and introduced me to some of those uh, sunflowers. First of all, I mean, I'm 6'3". These suckers were taller than I was. I mean, it was, it was amazing for their height. And the face, bigger than eight inches in diameter. You know, these were definitely a pretty big flower. But what I loved about this experience was how each sunflower, and I know all plants tend to do this, but still, because they're powerful and pretty, it stood out. They directed themselves fully to take in the warmth of that ever-present sun. But they didn't do it alone. They bent together together all hundreds of them lean together as one with a single shared purpose to take in all that sunlight. And when I thought, to that, thought about this, I thought to myself, isn't that a fantastic picture of us, the Christians that we are? At the end of the day, we're, we're, like, we're called to be like those sunflowers too. We're invited to bask in the light and the love of Christ, allow God's presence to fill us right to the brim. But we're not invited to do this alone. We're called to bask in this together, helping each other, praying with each other, worshiping alongside each other, and witnessing together as one family united in God. Truth is, we can't evangelize on our own. Even the apostles were sent out two by two. The great poet of, and rector of St. Paul's Cathedral in London, John Dunn, said it best, no man's an island. We can't do it alone. We need each other's support, encouragement, prayers, and what I felt here today amongst all of you, Love. Love, if we're going to help transform this world for Christ. St. Augustine, in his famous confession, said, My heart is restless till it rests in thee, Lord. My heart is restless today, too, and I know yours is, too, my friends. Together, may we continue to work restlessly and relentlessly so as to make our Savior proud, known, above all loved, in this great community of ours. Amen. Amen. I've always wanted to say that. There. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Thank you, brother. It's a very holy moment in more ways than one. With every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, the Holy Spirit has spoken so clearly, so beautifully, so wonderfully using his servant today. I'd like you to say two words with me. Say today. Today. Say now. Now. As we began today, the heart of Jesus, that people would know him. People would know him personally and intimately, not from afar off, not through religious traditions, but we have them, we all have them, but they're never a replacement for the whisper of his voice into our heart and our being. Today now, Jesus said, and then he put out this perpetual, timeless invitation 2 Corinthians, Paul said, for he says to us, God, speaking to you today, speaking to me, speaking through this beautiful message, speaking to those of us that already know him, already have experienced him, and, and we're stirred today to realize that so many don't know him, and we have that precious opportunity to be ministers of reconciliation. But I know that in this room or online today, There are those who have never made a decision to make it personal. God so loved the world and he offered Jesus. We just celebrated Christmas and then soon Easter. As the world celebrates but rarely understands that Jesus came and gave his life for you personally. And salvation and eternal life is available to you today but you have to receive it. He gave it, but you have to receive it. The Bible says that a man or a woman, a child, is to repent, simply meaning you turn from the way you're going and turn to God. And here's the great thing, when we turn to God, it's not a long journey to him, it's instantaneous. He's he's in your face (laughs) with a smile and his arms open, embracing you. If you're in the room today, Listen to this verse, for he says, God, in the time of my favor, that's the gospel time, that's this time, that's the now of today, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. And then Paul exhorted the Corinthian church the way I'm exhorting you today, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Today's that day. And if you're here today, and you've never taken the step to say, Jesus, come into my life. I want to know you personally. I would like to introduce you to the Jesus that you've heard about today, to the Jesus that might seem afar off, but Father Matt's friend and my friend and, and the friend of so many in this room, but today I want to introduce you to our best friend, Jesus. Every head bow just for a moment of reflection, meditation, but also for privacy. I'm going to ask if you're here and that's you today. I'm simply going to count down, three, two, one, and then ask you to raise your hand online. You can just type in, today's my day of salvation. I'm going to pray a prayer with you. If you raise your hand, we're all going to pray it together because most of us in this room would celebrate, but some of us have not made this decision yet. But today is your day because Jesus is calling your name right now. Your heart's probably beating a little quick. It is you. How could it be for me? It's for you. In three, in two, in one. Just simply raise your hand so I can see it. Anyone in the room, thank you. God bless you. Anyone else today? Thank you. Anyone else today? Yeah, (laughs) we get kind of excited about this. I just want to wait a moment. It's a precious moment, a holy moment, because my friend just did a great job evangelizing. Uh, Yeah, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Francis would be proud of you this morning. <laughs> Anyone else today? We're going to pray. It's a holy moment. Let's pray this together, Harvest. Dear Jesus. Dear Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. That you love me. That you love me. Just the way I am. Just the way I am. But today, but today I, heard, I heard you want to change me. You want to you come into my life. want come, 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 come into my life today. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my I receive, sin. I receive your, life. your life. I receive eternal life. I receive eternal in life in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen. We believe if you prayed that simple prayer from your heart that you're born again. Jesus is living in your heart today. You're starting a journey of friendship with him. Amen. We always encourage, and if you've made that decision, find someone in a green shirt. We have a Bible for you today and just some information to help you on your journey uh, toward Jesus. I made the comment that Francis would be the Holy Father. Uh, Pope Francis would be proud. He has given, since the time that he has taken the position, uh, he has given a mandate to the church across the world, and his mandate is that the Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church, would begin to evangelize and realize that it's not enough to be born in, but you have to make a decision. It's his mandate right now that the Roman Catholic Church would worship in abandonment and begin to open their heart and sing a new song to the Lord, as well as the other things I'm not aware of. (laughs) It takes a long time for a 2,000 year institution to change course. But it's changing a course as all of us. We're only a 20 year institution at Harvest, and we need to constantly be changing course. So today is a day of celebration, today of celebrating those that have received Christ, and today in this room, together, together, Catholics and Roman Catholics in this region, saying we love Jesus. Let's tell everybody we know about it. Would you stand this morning? You're going to be dismissed in just a moment. Let's just worship and sing this final song to the Lord.